Blog Talk Radio. You are listening to PGN, Prophetic Grace Network. This is Nicole, your Book of Revelation research scientist. We are talking about the seven plagues prophecy in the Book of Revelation. There are seven final plagues which will bring God's wrath to completion according to the Book of Revelation. The seven final plagues happen after the wrath of Satan. The wrath of Satan is the Great Tribulation. The wrath of God is the seven final plagues. The wrath of Satan, the Great Tribulation, is a time of great tribulation for those who are team Jesus. The wrath of God, the seven final plagues, is a time of great distress for those who are team Jesus. So we begin with the great tribulation and we conclude with the seven final plagues. At the end of the seven final plagues, which bring God's wrath to completion, we have the commencement of the government of Jesus Christ on this earth. And the Bible tells us in Isaiah, And of the increase of his government and his peace, there shall be no end. So we look forward to the day of the soon coming of Jesus Christ, his second coming, where he will fight and win the battle of Armageddon, where he will put down the government, the governments of men and establish the kingdom of God on this earth. He will be at that time Lord of all lords and king of all kings. And the Bible tells us that he will serve as a mediator for the nations and that people will put down their plowshares. uh, People will put down their pruning hooks. People will uh, prepare for war no more. So, Let us get to the seven final plagues. We're going to Revelation chapter 16. Let's begin at the end. Let's begin at the end. So what are the seven final plagues? The last three plagues focus on what happens to the Antichrist and the false prophet. In other words, what are the actions that allow God to judge the headquarters of the harlot church? What are the actions that allow God to bring the armies of the world, the armies under the leadership of the Antichrist, to the place where the battle of Armageddon will be fought and won? What is the action 
that will serve as a symbol to those who understand the times and the seasons that it's lights out for the Antichrist, that it's time for the power, the dominion, and the reign of the Antichrist to come to an end. These are the three things that we see in the last three final plagues. Let's start with the culmination of it all. The seventh and final plague. Revelation chapter 16, verse 17 says, The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne saying, It is done. So where are we? We're in heaven. There are seven angels. Each angel holds a bowl, and in the bowl is one of seven plagues. So there's the seventh angel holding a singular bowl in heaven. Where in heaven? In the temple of the Lord. So the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne saying, It is done. Now, earlier in the seven plagues prophecy, we're told that the angels come to earth to pour out the plagues. So, um, the voice comes out from temple, but the seventh angel comes to the earth to pour out the bowl. Then it says, then there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a severe earthquake. No earthquake like it has ever occurred since mankind has been on earth. So tremendous was the quake. The great city split into three parts, and the cities of the nations collapsed. God remembered Babylon the great and gave her the cup filled with the wine of the fury of his wrath. So let's pause there for a second. So when the seventh and final plague is poured out onto the earth, we're told that cities of the nations collapsed. collapsed. So there will be multiple cities across the world, cities in nations that collapse. Importantly, we're told that God remembered Babylon the Great. So in Revelation 17, 18, and verses 1 to 5 of 19, we have the purple and scarlet prophecy. We're going to be talking about it in August of 2023. For now, I want to assert that Babylon the Great refers to a city. And that city is the headquarters of the harlot church. And in that city, there are seven hills. It's the city of seven hills. That city, again, is the headquarters of the harlot church. During the rule and reign of the Antichrist, during the Great Tribulation, we learn in Revelation in the Purple and Scarlet Prophecy that this city will be the financial headquarters of the world. So today, some people say, oh, it's New York City. Um, others say, it's Hong Kong. Others say um, it's this place or that place. So during the Great Tribulation, the financial headquarters of the world, the financial headquarters of the Ten Nation Alliance, noted in the 666 Antichrist prophecy in the book of Revelation, will be Babylon. Babylon is identified 
in the book of Revelation, in the Purple and Scarlet Prophecy. We're going to be talking about it coming up on Thursday, Thursday of this week, and every Thursday and Sunday, we'll be talking about Mystery Babylon and the woman who rides the beast and what happens uh, to the harlot church. But for now, here we are in the seven plagues prophecy. Uh, it says, God remembered Babylon the great and gave her the cup filled with the wine of the fury of his wrath. So specifically, the headquarters of the harlot church is a target of the judgment of God when the seventh and final plague is poured out. Let's continue. Verse 20 says, every island fled away and the mountains could not be found. From the sky, huge hailstones, each weighing about 100 pounds, fell on people. And they cursed God on account of the plague of hail because the plague was so terrible. So many things happen, and specifically, God remembers the headquarters of the Harlot Church, the city of Seven Hills, Babylon the Great, and it is the recipient of the fury of his wrath what does his wrath uh, result in huge hailstones weighing about a hundred pounds falling on people what do these people do they curse god now think about this those who are team satan curse god those who are team jesus praise god so when it says hailstones each weighing about a hundred pounds fell on people and they cursed god on account of the plague of hell we know that these are the people who are team satan not the people who are team jesus so that is the seventh and final plague let's go back what happens prior to the seventh final plague being poured out so again the seventh final plague results in uh an earthquake a tremendous earthquake uh the cities of nations the cities with an s of nations collapsing and specifically the city where the headquarters of the harlot church will be housed that city uh receiving the wrath of god when the sixth and final plague is poured out we see preparation for the Battle of Armageddon. Let's hear it. Verses 12 to 16 of Revelation 16. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the kings from the east. Then I saw three impure spirits that looked like frogs. They came out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. So what is this telling us? The dragon, the beast, and the false prophet work in tandem. And each of these three entities has impure spirits. The dragon is Satan. We learn that in Revelation chapter 20. The beast is the Antichrist. We learn that in Revelation chapter 13. And the false prophet, the false prophet, is the leader of the harlot church. We'll be talking about that when we talk about the purple and scarlet prophecy. So when the sixth angel pours out the sixth and final plague, the Euphrates River, all of its water is dried up 
supernaturally. This happens on purpose. The reason is given to us very shortly. Now, about the spirits, the impure spirits uh, that are in the mouths of Satan and the Antichrist and the false prophet, it says in verse 14, continuing, they are demonic spirits that perform signs. And they go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them for the battle on the great day of God Almighty. So interestingly, in the marriage supper prophecy, which is the prophecy about the battle of Armageddon, Revelation 19, verses 6 to 21, we learn that the Antichrist and the false prophet and the kings of the world come to Jerusalem because they think they're going to take, take it over. They think they're going to destroy and annihilate Israel. And, in fact, they're going to their doom. They're going to their death. They're going to die uh, by the sword that comes from the mouth of the rider of the white horse, Jesus Christ. But they don't know that. So here we are prior to the fighting of the Battle of Armageddon. Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet were told, they are uh they have demonic spirits that extend from their mouths and these spirits go out to the kings of the whole world. Now what does that mean? A king is a leader. A king can be literally a king. It can also be a president, can be a prime minister, it can be uh an excellency, all these uh different titles that are given to represent the supreme leader of a nation or country. So these demonic spirits at the leading, at the instruction of the Antichrist, Satan and the false prophet, go out to the leaders of nations during the Great Tribulation and they're gathered for battle on the great day of the God Almighty. I mean to say after the Great Tribulation. After the Great Tribulation. They are gathered together. Let's keep going. Verse 15. Look, and this is Jesus Christ talking. Look, I come like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and remains clothed so as not to go naked and be shamefully exposed. Then they gathered the kings together to the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. Okay. So uh, many concepts or key points there. Let's laser in with strong focus on the key concept. The sixth angel pours out the bowl. The great river Euphrates is dried up supernaturally. And then the Antichrist and the false prophet and the kings of the world all travel across the dried up path of the Euphrates River. And they do that because it's their gathering. God is gathering them supernaturally. So they think that they're going of their own volition. They think that they have a plan and that they're, uh, that they're going to succeed at taking out Israel. But in fact, they are not acting of their own volition. They are uh, responding to God's plans. They are actually walking right into and across the path that God has prepared for them supernaturally so that he can destroy them since they are his enemies so 
When the sixth and final plague is poured out, the Euphrates River is dried up supernaturally. That's the consequence of that. Following that drying up, we see an action that's very important, which is that all of the parties, the enemy parties that are needed to be present at the Battle of Armageddon, they travel across that path, the path of the Euphrates River, which at this point will be dry. Not the water levels are low uh, or it's, it's, it's like a puddle or it's uh, 90% of what it used to be. No, it will be dried up to such an extent that millions can uh, cross that path and they are going to do that. Now let's back up. We find out what happens prior to the Antichrist and the false prophet and the kings of the world going with their armies to fight the Battle of Armageddon in Israel. What happens before that? Well, let's hear about the consequences of the fifth and final plague being poured out. Revelation 16 chapters, uh, verses 10 and 11. Revelation chapter 16, verses 10 and 11, it says this. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast. Let's pause there. Remember, the beast is the Antichrist. So the throne of the beast is where the beast sits. Where does the Antichrist sit? Well, he will have a headquarters. In the same way that uh, the President of the United States has a throne, that throne is in the Oval Office. That Oval Office is in Washington, D.C. The headquarters for the President of the United States is Washington, D.C., and the address is 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, Northwest. The Antichrist will have a physical address, a specific location in a city that uh, houses his headquarters. So uh, at his headquarters will be his throne. Now what happens? Something happens, something very interesting to the headquarters of the Antichrist. It says, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. What's that mean? A blackout. A blackout. So we've been having uh, here in the United States of America some very, very hot weather. I suspect that very shortly they're going to announce blackouts. I hope not. I hope not. But uh, in years past, when the weather gets very hot, all of a sudden they're blackouts, they're rolling blackouts, this or that. Now, after the Great Tribulation, which is the wrath of Satan, they're the seven final plagues, which is the wrath of God. The fifth and final plague is when God causes, through the actions of the angel who pours out the fifth and final plague, God causes the headquarters of the Antichrist to experience a blackout. Now, what else happens? Also in this timing, it says, People gnaw their tongues in agony and curse the God of heaven because of their pains and sores, but they refused to repent of what they had done. So we see that the fifth and final plague is a judgment against the Antichrist. In the same timing, those who are team Satan, those who have taken the mark of the beast, 
they are experiencing the judgment of God. They continue to have pains and sores due to what has happened when the first and fourth plague are poured out. We'll hear, hear about that shortly. They continue to have pains and sores. And here's where we know that the seven final plagues is judgment for those who are team Satan, it says, but they refuse to, pen of what, to repent of what they had done. Repentance is step one for those who are team Jesus. Every person whose name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life has repented. Every person who is among the sheep, every person who is a part of the wheat, every person who uh, is included with the good fish, every person who is a good fish has repented. Repentance is the beginning of God's plan for salvation. All who have come to the Lord and who have found and followed his plan for salvation have repented. But listen, these people here, these people who are recipients of the judgment of God, they do not repent. What do they do? It says they curse the God of heaven. Those who are team Jesus bless the God of heaven, praise the God of heaven, worship the God of heaven. So these certainly cannot be believers. These certainly cannot be those of us who are in Christ because these individuals are team Satan. They're team Satan because they curse the God of heaven and they refuse to repent. Now let's go back. What about plagues one to four? So plague five results in the blackout for the headquarters of the Antichrist. Plague six results in the supernatural drying up of the Euphrates River so that the Antichrist and the kings of the world and the false prophet can travel that path straight into Jerusalem. When plague seven is poured out, there's a great earthquake. One of the things that also happens is that the headquarters of the harlot church, which is a church led by the false prophet, they receive God's wrath, God's judgment. And we'll hear in the purple and scarlet prophecy that they are destroyed. Now, the first four plagues, the first four plagues, in contrast to the final three, which focus on what is happening with the Antichrist, his headquarters, what is happening with getting the Antichrist, the false prophet, and the armies of the world to Armageddon, and then what happens to the headquarters of the false prophet. So the last three plagues focus on headquarters of the Antichrist, getting the Antichrist and the false prophet and the armies to Armageddon, and then finally headquarters of the harlot church. But the first four plagues, those are about what happened to those who have taken the mark of the beast. During the Great Tribulation, each individual on this present earth must make a decision. And that decision is to accept the mark of the beast or to reject the mark of the beast. Accept the mark of the beast or reject the mark of the beast. Now let's hear what happens to those 
who have taken the mark of the beast. What happens to those who have taken the mark of the beast? Here it is, Revelation 16, verses 1 and 2. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. The first angel went and poured out his bowl on the land, and ugly, festering sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. Some translations refer to a malignant sore. I'm in the NIV. I'm going to go to the um, New Living Translation. Then I heard a mighty voice from the temple say to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out on the earth the seven bowls containing God's wrath. So the first angel left the temple and poured out his bowl on the earth. And horrible malignant sores, so malignant means cancerous, horrible malignant sores broke out on everyone who had the mark of the beast and who worshipped his statue. So we hear straight from the beginning, the beginning of what? The beginning of the report of what happens when the seven final plagues, the wrath of God is actually poured out on this earth by the seven angels who've been given that assignment. The first plague is a judgment, and it's a judgment against who? Those who have taken the mark of the beast. It says everyone who had the mark of the beast. What do they get? What's their judgment? A malignant sore. Now, what's a malignant sore? A malignant sore is a cancerous sore. Now, let me give you a definition for uh, malignant. Let's get that. Let's get that malignant. According to, someone might say, well, I don't think God would do that. When an individual has positioned himself or herself as an enemy of God, then that individual is subject to the wrath of God. Those who have taken the mark of the beast are team Satan. Satan is God's enemy. So if an individual is team Satan, then that individual is an enemy of God. We say, no, no, no. All humans are God's children. It's not true. Those who are team Satan are Satan's children. Those who are team Jesus are God's children. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one. God the Father, Jesus, the Son of God, and the Holy Spirit. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one. Those who are team Satan are Satan's children. Those who are team Jesus are the Father's children. Those who are team Jesus are God's children. Now, according to the dictionary, malignant means of a disease very virulent or infectious. Another definition says tending to invade normal tissue or to recur after removal. Another definition says cancerous so what does god give to his enemies those who have made the decision to reject his invitation to be a part of his forever family and those who have taken the mark of the beast thus making themselves 
children of Satan forever and ever on this present earth and for eternity, they are given a cancerous sore. It says, malignant sores broke out on everyone who had the mark of the beast and who worshipped his statue. What statue is that? That's the statue referred to in the 666 Antichrist prophecy in Revelation chapter 13. We're told that those who take the mark of the beast will also worship the Antichrist. The false prophet will commission a statue of the Antichrist and the command will be to worship this statue. The penalty for failure to worship the statue will be death. Now let's continue. What about the second plague? Verse 3 says, Then the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse, and everything in the sea died. Then the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs, and they became blood. And I heard the angel who had authority over all water saying, You are just, O Holy One, who is and who always was, because you have sent these judgments, since they shed the blood of your holy people. And your prophets, you have given them blood to drink. It is their just reward. And I heard a voice on the altar saying, Yes, O Lord God, the Almighty, your judgments are true and just. So we're told that these individuals who have taken the mark of the beast and worship his statue, that they, quote, shed the blood of your holy people and your prophets. End quote. And so the reward, the consequence, the judgment for those who have taken the mark of the beast is that they are given what is symbolic blood. So their water, which they need to live, where's the water? Well, there's the water of the seas, and then there's the water from rivers and springs, both. Just in case there was any doubt, both the water of the seas and the water of rivers and springs are turned to blood. And we're told, quote, it is their just reward. Why is it a just reward? Because they shed the blood of God's holy people. Who's that? Those who are team Jesus. It says, and your prophets, again, those who are team Jesus. So, and their reward is that they are given blood to drink. The water that they need to survive is turned to blood. Now, the fourth plague, and I, let's go to verse 8. Then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, causing it to scorch everyone with its fire. Let's pause there for a second. This is the first verse that caused me to believe that when the seven final plagues are poured out, the first resurrection has already happened. You say, well, where do you see that, research scientists? Why do you think that? It says here, causing it to scorch everyone with its fire. It doesn't say, as is the case in some places in the book of Revelation, everyone except those whose names is written in the Lamb's Book of Life or everyone except those who are under the supernatural protection of God, or it doesn't give any kind of qualifier. 
And when the Bible says everyone, everyone means everyone. In the instance when God wanted to uh, communicate that everyone included everyone except some specific group, it says that. But it doesn't say that here. So if everyone is scorched with the fire of the sun, and these judgments are only for those who are team Satan, that means that those who are team Jesus are not at the moment on the present earth. Now, that's what I believe. That's what I believe. However, in any case, we see certainly that the consequence of the fourth and final plague being poured out is that the sun becomes so hot that humans on the earth, and it says everyone, is burned with its fire. Verse 9, everyone was burned by this blast of heat, and they cursed the name of God who had control over all these plagues. Now, again, this has to be talking about singularly those who are team Satan. We heard in... uh, with the pouring out of the first and final plague, that all of those individuals received malignant, in other words, cancerous sores, because they had taken the mark of the beast and worshipped his statue. Now we're told that everyone is burned with the blast of heat from the sun. And what do they do? What do all these people, who's all these people, everyone on the earth? It says, and they cursed the name of God. Now, those who are team Satan curse the name of God. Those who are team Jesus praise the name of God. So, again, I believe that this reveals that the first resurrection has already occurred. The first resurrection has occurred. When did it occur? It occurred after the Great Tribulation. The first resurrection occurs, and now there's the wrath of God, which culminates with the city of Babylon receiving God's wrath, and that's immediately followed by the Battle of Armageddon. Everyone was burned by this blast of heat, and they cursed the name of God, who had control over all these plagues. They did not repent of their sins and turn to God and give him glory. Okay, so we've heard... All of the seven final plagues, we began with plague seven, then we looked at plague six, then we looked at plague five, because those are the plagues that tell us what happens to the headquarters of the harlot church, Babylon, the city of seven hills. Then we heard what happens when the sixth plague is poured out. And how the Euphrates River is dried up supernaturally, which leads to the gathering of the Antichrist, the false prophet, and the kings of the world to the precise location where the Battle of Armageddon will be fought and won. And we heard how the headquarters of the Antichrist will experience a blackout. And then finally we heard the four, the first four plagues, which affect everyone who's taken the mark of the beast including the Antichrist and the false prophet, and we hear how they get a cancerous sore, we hear how their water is turned to blood, and we hear how the heat of the sun will be turned up so high that they're going to be scorched, they're going to be burned with it. Now, interestingly, 
Let us go to the seven seals prophecy briefly. Then I want to go to the marriage supper prophecy. Um, in the seven seals prophecy, we're told that the people of God, we're told that the people of God will never, never, never be scorched by the heat of the sun. Now, why do we want to look at that? Well, we just heard in Revelation 16 that everyone, everyone means 100%, not 95% or 80 or 20 or even 99.9. Everyone means 100%. We heard in Revelation 16 when the fourth angel pours out his plague, it says, the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, causing it to scorch everyone with its fire. But in Revelation, Revelation chapter 7 in the seven seals prophecy, we're told, quote, they will never be scorched by the heat of the sun, for the lamb on the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of life-giving water, and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Well, who's this who will never be scorched by the heat of the sun? Let's back up. Revelation Revelation 14 says, uh, John the Revelator is talking, and I said to him, Sir, you are the one who knows. Then he said to me, These are the ones who died in the great tribulation. Now, who dies in the great tribulation? It says, they have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb and made them white. Now, certainly those who are team Satan, they have not washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. And they do not have robes that have been made white as a result of the blood of the Lamb and his work. So during the great tribulation, there are those who are team Jesus who will die. How do we know that? It's right here in Revelation in the seven seals prophecy, Revelation chapter 7, verse 17, again it says, these are the ones who died in the great tribulation. They have washed their robes in the blood of the lamb and made them white. Now this is very interesting. Then it says, that is why they stand in, the, in front of God's throne and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will give them shelter. They will never again be hungry or thirsty. They will never be scorched by the heat of the sun. So they die during the great tribulation, which is the wrath of Satan. And the great tribulation is followed by the wrath of God, which is the seven final plagues. So they have died during the great tribulation, and they are never, ever scorched by the heat of the sun. The heat of the sun is what scorches everyone on this present earth after the great tribulation has ended and the wrath of God has begun. Now, the seventh and final plague, we're told that several interesting events happen. One is that... The great city of Babylon split into three sections. Now, beginning this week on Thursday, and in every program uh, for
for PGN's Secrets Revealed, Understand the Book of Revelation from Start to Finish. For every program in August of 2023, we're going to be talking about this great city of Babylon. What is it? It's the headquarters of the Harlot Church. It's where the throne of the false prophet exists. God tells us, come out from among her so you will not partake of her plagues. Now, interestingly, we're going to learn in the Purple and Scarlet Prophecy that Babylon, the headquarters of the Harlot Church, is actually going to be the key city, the dominant city, the financial headquarters of the Ten Nation Alliance. So it used to be that people said uh, New York City is the financial capital of the world. Now, maybe some people are still saying that. I don't know. But certainly, in the soon coming days, after the temple has been rebuilt in Jerusalem, during the rule and reign of the Antichrist, the Great Tribulation, which will last for 1,260 days, three and a half years, that's 42 months, Babylon will be the financial capital of the Ten Nation Alliance, identified in the 666 Antichrist, and noted in Daniel chapter 7. Now here with the seven plagues prophecy, we're told the great city of Babylon, that's the headquarters of the Harlot Church, the financial center of the Ten Nation Alliance during the Great Tribulation. It says the great city of Babylon split into three sections. And then we're also told, God remembered all of Babylon's sins, and he made her drink the cup that was filled with the wine of his fierce wrath. So he takes care of the headquarters of the harlot church. Now, what happens after the seven final plagues have been uh, poured out onto the earth? Well, in Revelation 17... 18, Revelation chapter 17, 18, and the first five verses of Revelation chapter 19, we hear exactly how the headquarters of the harlot church is taken out. And we learn exactly who the false prophet is and who the harlot church is. And we learn about their activities during the great tribulation. But I want to take us to what happens after the headquarters of the harlot church is taken out. After God remembers Babylon and it is destroyed. Well, at that point, it's time for the battle of Armageddon. So after the seven final plagues are poured out onto this earth, and I again, I told you, I believe based on scripture, that when the seven final plagues are poured out, the first resurrection has occurred. I believe that the people of God are with God in heaven. Now you say, well, how long is this? Is it for a day, a week, a month? I don't know. Perhaps that information is in the Bible, and I'm not uh, aware of it yet. If you see in the Bible and where that is, uh, would you let me know? Now, there's a place in the Bible where it talks about 1,290 days in the book of Daniel. That might explain the discrepancy between 
the great tribulation and the 1,290 days. Uh, one of my teachers, uh, Irvin Baxter, he mentioned that this was something that he did not understand yet. He was believing God to show it to him. Why is there the 1,260 days mentioned in Revelation chapter 12, in Revelation chapter 11, in Revelation chapter 13? So the timing of the Great Tribulation is mentioned in the Seven Trumpets prophecy, in the 1,260 days prophecy, in the 666 Antichrist prophecy, we're told over and over again that the Great Tribulation is precisely, exactly, specifically, and only three and a half years. But then in Daniel, we're told, blessed uh, is he that makes it to 1,290 days. So we have another number given, 1,290 days. So, you know, maybe it's the case that the people of God that we are in heaven with the Lord for 30 days and that the pouring out of the seven final plagues, uh, that that happens over 30 days, I don't know. I'm speculating there. I don't know the answer to that really good question. But let us talk about what happens after the seven final plagues have been poured out. What happens is the Battle of Armageddon. So we pick up with Revelation 19, verse 6. Where are we in time? It's time for Jesus Christ to return to this present earth, and we're told that he doesn't come alone. He comes with his people. He comes with the armies of heaven and those who have been invited. Now, who's invited to the Battle of Armageddon? Are you invited? Well, let me ask you this. Is your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? You want your name to be written in the Lamb's Book of Life because every person whose name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life will have issued to him or her a peak performance body. Now, if I told you there's a hospital you can go to and there's a doctor there who can uh, update your DNA so that you will never, ever die, I bet you'd move uh, heaven and earth. I bet you'd do everything in your power to get to that hospital and to get your name uh, in the appointment book of that medical doctor. Well, I want to talk to you about Dr. Jesus. Dr. Jesus, Dr. Jesus will issue to every person, 100% of those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, a peak performance body a body that is completely free of DNA errors. I have in my body, and you have in your body, DNA errors. How do we know that? We know that because the Bible says the sins of the father are visited upon the sons and daughters up to the fourth generation. There are things that are impacting you that are not your fault. Now, how is God going to bring justice to that situation? Why should you be penalized? Why should I be penalized for the sins of uh, our grandmother, grandfather, great-grandmother, great-grandfather, and on and on it goes? Well, we're under the curse. It began with Adam and Eve. When When they disobeyed God, that meant that every generation after them, was born in the image of Adam instead of the image of God. 
So the Bible tells us in Romans that God sent a second Adam. Did you hear that? In the Bible, in the book of Romans, we're told that God sent a second Adam. Why do we need a second Adam? The first Adam failed. How did he fail? He failed to reproduce himself. We say, well, that's not true. Adam and Eve had children. Listen, he failed to reproduce himself because Adam was born in the image of God, but all of his children were born in the image of Adam. What does that mean? Mortality. Mortality. Mortality is not God's best for you. Mortality is Adam's best. So God sent a second Adam. Who's the second Adam? Jesus Christ. And every person who finds and follows Jesus Christ is guaranteed a peak performance body. Every person who finds and follows the second Adam, when the seventh trumpet sounds, that individual will put on a peak performance body. We're told in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 how it all happens. Let's go there so you can hear it. Let's go there so you can hear it. Friend and truth seeker, whatever you do, make sure your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Make sure that you are scheduled with Dr. Jesus to get your peak performance body. Now I'm going to go there now so we can hear what happens to those who have been to mediation, those who have found and followed God's perfect plan for salvation, how we are going to put on our peak performance bodies. All right. Here it is. 1 Thessalonians, chapter 4, verse 13. And now, dear brothers and sisters, that's you, that's you and me, and now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died. So you will not grieve like people who have no hope. So I'm telling you this because you don't want to be a slave to the fear of death. If you are not in Christ, you're a slave to the fear of death. Continuing, verse 14. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, here it is, when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. So that's a part of the harvest. Some people are going to die before the second coming of Jesus Christ. What about them? It says God will bring back with him the believers who have died. Listen, how's it going to happen? I'm going to go down to verse 16. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. What does that mean? They come back two in one. What's two in one? Their soul, mind, will, and emotions the soul is perfectly intact in a form of a body in heaven right now. Every person who dies in Christ immediately goes to heaven and has a form, a type of body, but it's not 
the peak performance body. It's not a tangible body suitable for dwelling on the present earth and the new earth to come. Yet, they continue to exist, soul and spirit, two in one instead of three in one. But at the second coming of Jesus Christ, God reconstitutes their bodies. How does he do that? All of their DNA, all of their cells are gathered together just as a human being is knit together in his or her mother's womb, God will knit together a peak performance grown-up body for all of those individuals who are in heaven, and they will descend from heaven. How are they descending? In a form of a body, two in one. So they're descending as a spirit and soul. What do they do? They slip into, they put on, just like you put on a perfect suit. Let's say you go to Brooks Brothers or you go to Neiman Marcus. You go to the best tailor and you put on a suit that's been perfectly sewn just for you. It fits you like a glove. Friend and truth seeker, your body, the one that's going to rise from the grave, it's going to fit you like a glove. It's going to run like the wind. It's going to have beautiful hair, beautiful teeth, perfect eyes, perfect vision, a normal back. Your mind and your brain is going to purr. You want this peak performance body. Now, you might say, well, when I was 30, I could run like the wind. I played football when I was 23 or 21. I used to run track. Man, I was something on the basketball court. I used to uh, be on that balance beam. Listen, you haven't had your best day yet. You have not put on your peak performance body yet. You haven't sung with your peak performance voice. I don't care if you're Mariah Carey, Ariana Grande, Celine Dion. Listen, you have not sung your best song yet because you've yet to put on your peak performance body. Now, you want to make sure you're name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life because every person whose name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life is going to be issued a peak performance body. We heard about group one. What's group one? Those who have died in Christ. They descend from heaven with Jesus Christ. And what does it say? First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. So it's talking about their bodies will rise. So they are not in the grave. They are in heaven. They are in heaven. Now, how do we know that? In verse 14, it says, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. How is he bringing them back? They're coming with him when he descends from heaven in the clouds. He brings them back. And what do they do? They will rise from the grave. So, that too, spirit and soul meets the one. What's the one? It's their peak performance body, their immortal body, their glorified body, their perfected body. What kind of body? It's just like the one Jesus had when he rose from the grave. He put on a peak performance body, so he could only die on the cross because he was in a mortal body. But when he rose from the dead, he put on an immortal body. So now He's in that immortal body forever and ever. Well, where is he? He's in heaven. What's he doing in heaven? Sitting at the right hand of the Father in that peak performance body. 
Now let's continue here in First Thessalonians chapter 4. What about group 2? Those of us who will be here, uh, we will be here during the great tribulation. It says, then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So there are three groups here in First Thessalonians chapter 4. It tells us about two. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. Okay, let me say that in a normal voice. Then we will be with the Lord forever. That's really important, friend. Where will you be forever? I was talking to uh, one of my favorite people, and she said, well, I believe when you die, that's it. That's a lie from the pits of hell. There's a forever. There's There's the end of time, which is coming, and then there's the eternities of eternities, right? That's beyond time. So in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The beginning of what? The beginning of time. Then there's the end of time. After chronological time is no longer counted, when does that happen? When this present earth comes to an end. It says it's going to be folded up like an old cloak. It's going to wear out the present earth and, interestingly, the present heaven. They both go away, and we get a new earth and new heavens. What's that? That's after the end of time. Now, we're in time right now. Today is July 30th of 2023. And I'm asking you, truth seeker and friend, to consider, is your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? You want that peak performance body. You want to be among those who transition from mortality to immortality. Every person who died in Christ was mortal. Every person on this present earth is mortal. Yet, whether you are in Christ in heaven or in Christ on the earth, there's the opportunity and the reality that you will transition from mortality to immortality. You will put on a peak performance body. You will run like the wind. You will have perfect vision. You will have amazing hair. You will have a mind that's free from mental torment and distress. You will have perfection physically and psychologically. And that's going to happen when you transition from mortality to immortality. Whatever you do, make sure your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Make sure that you are among us who rise up in our peak performance bodies to meet Jesus Christ in the clouds with the sounding of the seventh trumpet. Now, I shared with you earlier today that I believe the timeline looks like this. There's the second coming of Jesus Christ reported in Revelation chapter 14. So that's reported in the 144,000 first fruits prophecy, Revelation chapter 14, verses 1 to 5, and it's also reported in the earth reaped prophecy, the rest of Revelation 14, the second coming of Jesus Christ. What happens in the second coming of Jesus Christ? The first resurrection. What's that? That's what we just heard in First Thessalonians chapter 4, the first resurrection. 
You say, well, why is it called the first resurrection? Well, there's a second one. That's described in Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 to 15, in the dead judge prophecy. So either a person is resurrected for eternal life, what does that mean? Resurrected and you put on your peak performance body that you'll have forever and ever. You'll have it on this present earth, and it'll go with you when we transition to the new earth. So either a person is resurrected and participates participates in the first resurrection, that's resurrection for eternal life, or an individual participates in the subsequent resurrection, that's the resurrection for eternal damnation. Those are the people who go to court. Now, if I told you so-and-so is taking you to court, you may or may not be stressed, right? If a human being takes you to court, maybe it's stressful, maybe it isn't. You know, if the person is wealthy and has a lot of money and can tie you up in court forever and ever, maybe it's stressful. Um, maybe maybe you've done the wrong thing and so you're stressed because you're like, man, I'm guilty. Ah, what's going to happen with this thing? Imagine God taking a person to court. It's one thing for a human to take you or me to court for us to get a summons to court, and we're we're facing uh, a judge that's mortal. We're facing the the person who's mad at us as a human being, and the person who's going to judge us as a human being. You know, maybe we're stressed, maybe we're not. Listen, those who fail to participate in the first resurrection, they're going to court because God has a case against them. God has a case against them. That's in Revelation 20, verses 11 to 15. The dead judged prophecy. And it says the books were open and their cases tried. Listen, you want everything between you and God settled. You want to be in good standing with God. You say, well, why? Maybe you say, I have a bone to pick with God. You don't know what happened to me when I was five years old. You don't know what my father did, my mother this or that, my neighbor, my teacher, my best friend, uh, the government of Mozambique, whatever it is. You Maybe you have a bone to pick with God. Maybe you're mad at God because of what has happened to you. Friend, I want to tell you right now. Every wrong thing that's ever happened to you is either the result of the plans and purposes of Satan or it's the result of wrong actions of humans. God has never, 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 never been your enemy unless you have been an enemy to him. God's plans and purposes for you are good. God loves you. God wants you to be victorious. He wants your name to be written in the Lamb's book of life. He wants you to be a part of his forever family. Friend, you do have an enemy. You do have a legitimate gripe. It's hard to be on this earth. There's rape and murder. And theft, there's so much evil. There's so much evil. I don't want to sit here and focus on uh, the evil of this world. I want to 
focus on the reality of the peace of Jesus Christ. In Isaiah chapter 9, it says, and of the increase of his government and his peace, there shall be no end. Do you know that there's a time coming when there will never, ever be any more war on this earth? When's that? When the Battle of Armageddon is fought and won, that's the last war that will ever, ever happen on this present earth or the new earth to come. You want to be around for that. Why should you endure the pain of the present earth and not experience the pleasure of the new earth to come? You shouldn't. You should make sure that you get to experience the pleasure of the new earth to come. Certainly you've experienced enough pain. Certainly you have. Friend and truth seeker, if you have a bone to pick, your bone to pick is with Satan. Satan is the root of your problems. Satan is the reason that you have an enemy. Who's your enemy? We all have the same enemy, and that enemy is death. And we're told that the last enemy he destroys will be death. I love the fact that God has reported that not only is my enemy his enemy, but that he's going to destroy our enemy, which is death. Where's that? Revelation 20, verses 14 and 15. He actually destroys death. And we're told in Revelation 21, Revelation chapter 21, that on the new earth there's no more death, there's no more sorrow, no more grief, no more pain, no more mourning. You want to be victorious. You want to move beyond the pain of the present world into the pleasure of the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, the pleasure of Jesus Christ ruling and reigning on this present earth. When does it happen? It happens after he fights and wins the battle of Armageddon. We're going to go there now. Now let's get this timeline straight in our minds. There's the great tribulation. It's 1,260 days. That's in Revelation chapter 11, chapter 12, and chapter 13. Revelation 14, in the two prophecies there, there's the first resurrection. Revelation 15 and 16, then what happens? After the first resurrection, the people of God are with Jesus Christ. We're in heaven with Jesus Christ. That's what I believe that the scripture reveals. How long? I don't know. I don't see where the answer to that question is. It might be there in the Bible, and I just haven't perceived it yet. After the seven final plagues, when God's wrath is brought to completion, then what happens? Now it's time. After the seven angels have poured out the seven final plagues, now it's time for Jesus Christ to return for the battle of Armageddon. Now these things happen relatively close in time, I believe. Let's go to Revelation 19, and I think you're going to hear, uh, I think you're going to hear further evidence and that you may be persuaded along with me that there's a timing where the people of God are in our immortal bodies with God in heaven. Let's go to after the seven final plagues have been poured out. Now we go to Revelation 19, verse 6. What does it say? Then I heard again what sounded like the shout of a vast crowd or the roar of mighty ocean waves or the crash of loud thunder. 
Praise the Lord, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Now, what does this mean? The great tribulation has happened. That's the wrath of Satan. It was followed by the first resurrection. After the first resurrection, the wrath of God comes onto this earth, and all the people on this earth, the people who belong to this world, they get the cancerous sores. They get the sun scorching them with fire. They get the hailstone of 100 pounds falling on their heads. The people are gathered together, who the Antichrist and the kings of the world and the false prophet, they're gathered together in Jerusalem for what? The battle of Armageddon. And now here we are. Here we are. Where are we? The battle of Armageddon. Revelation 19, verse 6. Then I heard again what sounded like the shout of a vast crowd or the roar of mighty ocean waves or the crash of loud thunder. Praise the Lord, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice, and let us give honor to him. For the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb. What's that? The wedding feast of the Lamb is the Battle of Armageddon. You're going to hear that here. And his bride has prepared herself. She has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear. For the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. So what is this telling us here? This is so interesting. It's time for the battle of Armageddon. His bride, who's that? Those who are in Christ. The church as well as the 144,000. So the, all who are the part of the, uh, the original branch and those who have been grafted in. So the, those, the, the wild olive tree and the original tree. So biological Jews, the 144,000. Plus all of those who are in Christ, past and present for all time. So that's the bride. His bride has prepared herself. So that's every person who's a part of the forever family of God, every person who transitioned from mortality to immortality. We heard what happens there, First Thessalonians chapter 4. It says we've prepared ourselves. How? She has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear. So we have an outfit. You remember when you were young, maybe um, your mom or dad or your grandma, in my case it was my grandma, wanted to take you to church for Easter. And then so for Easter, you were going to have a fancy outfit, like a, a nice outfit. I I personally looked forward to it for the wrong reasons at that time. Uh, I would get a new dress, and that would make me happy. So um, listen, your parents want to give you a nice outfit for a special occasion, and your heavenly father, he wants to give you a nice outfit for the occasion. What occasion is that? The Battle of Armageddon. He wants to and he will. What is the outfit? What is the what is the attire? There's a movie I like, Coming to America. They talk about attire. So what is the attire that we as members of the royal race, uh, what will we wear to the Battle of Armageddon? Well, we're told that each of us will be given the finest of pure white linen to wear. So I hope you like wearing the color white. I hope you like wearing linen. But even if you don't, I bet you're going to like this outfit. I bet it's amazing. It's going to fit each of us perfectly. Okay, so we're clear. Where are we? The Battle of Armageddon. It's time to rejoice. We're all prepared. How are we prepared? We transition from mortality to immortality. That means that when we come back to earth, we cannot be hurt. We cannot be killed. We cannot be maimed. 
we're in a peak performance body. We can rise up in that body. Uh, we can eat in that body. It's tangible. It's a forever body. Okay, you're gonna uh, you're gonna feel great and amazing. You're not gonna be tired in this body. You're gonna feel fantastic in this body. So you're prepared and you have your outfit. You transition to mortality from mortality to immortality, and you have on your outfit. You're ready. Let's continue. Verse 9. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he added, these are true words that come from God. Now, here's the question. It says, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. So is it that 100% of those who are the bride are invited to the wedding feast, or is it some portion? I don't know the answer to that question. I believe it's somewhere in the Bible. I don't see it in the book of Revelation. I'm searching for that. But it says, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. So if a believer is invited to the battle of Armageddon, it's considered a blessing. And you might say, that sounds weird to me. Why would it be a blessing to participate in a war or to watch a, a war in progress, consider this. This war, we're going to hear in a moment, is a war waged in righteousness. It's the war to end all wars. It's the final event that allows the kingdom of God the peace of God, the government of God, to be established, to commence on this earth. Remember, when Jesus Christ came the first time, he came as a lamb. But the second time, he's coming as a lion. He allowed his life to be taken so that we could, we could have our case settled. So he could be our mediator, so we could get in right standing with God, so we can participate in the first resurrection, right? But this time, that's all done. He's coming in his full splendor and power. So it's considered a blessing if an individual is invited to the Battle of Armageddon. Now let's continue, verse 10. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him, but he said, this is the angel, no, don't worship me. I am a servant of God, just like you and your brothers and sisters who testify about their faith in Jesus. Worship only God. For the essence of prophecy is to give a clear witness for Jesus. Okay, so John the Revelator, he's awestruck by the angel. So he falls to his feet and the angel says, just a second, don't do that. Don't do that. Um, like you and everybody who testifies testifies about Jesus, um, I'm just a servant, only worship God, okay? So, yes, give your testimony for faith in Jesus. That's what you're doing. I'm like you too. All of us who are in Jesus, we worship God the Father. We do not uh, worship angels. Don't worship an angel. Okay, now we're getting to the part where the battle of Armageddon is happening. Now we're getting to it. Verses 11 to 21 of Revelation 19. Then I saw heaven opened, and a white horse was standing there. Oh, my God. 
This is amazing. Here it is. Then I saw heaven opened and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. The armies of heaven, dressed in the finest of pure white linen, followed him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. Let's pause there. What has happened? This is the beginning of the Battle of Armageddon. We see a picture of activities in heaven because Jesus Christ le- Jesus Christ leaves a literal present heaven and however far that is above the earth wherever it is beyond the earth he leaves that location and comes not by himself but he comes Deep, very deep. And it says he doesn't have an army, but armies. He comes with the armies of heaven, and then we get a description of his outfit. Um, So he and uh, the individuals in the armies of heaven, they're all on white horses. Now, interestingly, it doesn't say he, he comes with flowers, or he comes with a flute, or he comes with a harp. It says... From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. Now, why is he going to strike down the nations? Remember, the first resurrection has already happened. So those who are in Christ are with Jesus. Those who are not in Christ are still here on the earth. Those are the people that remain uh, in the nations. These are the people who have taken the mark of the beast and worshipped the statue of the Antichrist. So he's coming to strike them down. Why? Because they are not children of God. Remember, just because a person is human doesn't make the individual a child of God. That's a lie from the pits of hell. There are many who are children of Satan. And during the Great Tribulation, the children of Satan will take his mark. What mark is that? That's the mark of the beast on their forehead or on their hand. And those who are children of God will also take a mark. Where is that? Revelation 22, verse 4. Revelation chapter 3. We'll have the mark of God on our foreheads. So the mark of the beast is a counterfeit mark. It's a mark for those who are children of Satan. So Jesus Christ comes to the present earth, and he has a sharp sword, and he's going to use it to strike down the nations. Let's continue. He will rule them with an iron rod. What does this mean he will rule them? He's coming to establish his government. So the nations, many nations will continue, but their governments will report to his government. They will be under his leadership. We're not going to have corrupt judges anymore. We're not going to have corrupt presidents and vice presidents and senators and prime ministers and whatever these other titles are. No, no, no. We're entering a time of peace after the Battle of Armageddon. So let's hear. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice 
flowing from a wine press. On his robe at his thigh was written his title, King of all kings and Lord of all lords. So when he descends from heaven, that is the moment in time where the reality that Jesus Christ is King of all kings and Lord of all lords, that's the point in time where it catches up in real time. So in other words, if you are a mother or a father, when you were born, you were actually already a mother and a father, but it hadn't caught up to you yet in time. You had to allow different events to happen over time, and ultimately you uh, you partnered with another person and you produced a child, and that resulted in you uh, then at that time being the mother or father. So what am I saying? Jesus Christ is king of all kings and lord of all lords, but but not right now. Not right now. How do we know that? When the president of the United States goes to report to someone, he's not reporting to Jesus Christ. When the vice president of the United States goes to report to someone, she's not reporting to Jesus Christ. When the king of England goes to report to someone, you know, it goes on like that. Okay? So, when he returns, Jesus Christ, at that time, even though he already is, but at that time, we will be in the timing of that reality uh, happening. In verse 17, it says, Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, shouting to the vultures flying high in the sky, Come, gather together for the great banquet God has prepared. Come and eat the flesh of kings, generals and strong warriors, of horses and their riders, and of all humanity, both free and slave, small and great. Now listen to this. Why is there an instruction given to vultures? After the battle of Armageddon is fought, we're told at the end of Revelation 14 that the blood flowing from this uh, from this battle will be 180 miles. It'll be 180 miles of blood and carnage. There has to be a cleanup plan for this. There has to be a cleanup plan. What's the cleanup plan? Here it is in Revelation 17. Come and eat the flesh of kings, generals, and strong warriors, of horses and their riders, and of all humanity, both free and slave, small and great. So there'll be great people, small people, free people and slaves in these armies. These armies that are there where? In Israel, fighting on behalf of the Antichrist. Kings, generals, and strong warriors. Now, God refers to this as a great banquet that he has prepared. Now, when you hear wedding feast earlier in this chapter, in the marriage supper prophecy, this is the wedding feast. There's a reference again. It's a great banquet God has prepared. Now, let's hear the last three verses. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the world and their armies gathered together to fight against the one sitting on the horse and his army. So just like the Super Bowl, on one side you have one team, on the other side you have another team. Just like the Super Bowl. On one side you have what's going to be the winning team, and on the other side, you have what's going to be the losing team. 
The winning team is Team Jesus. The losing team is Team Antichrist, Team Satan, Team False Prophet. They're all on the same team. And the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who did mighty miracles on behalf of the beast, miracles that deceived all who had accepted the mark of the beast and who worshipped his statue. Now listen to that. This, it, you know, some people might say, well, I wish we would get a blow-by-blow of exactly how it happens. God is literally here in the flesh fighting a mortal person the Antichrist, and another mortal person, the false prophet, it probably happens in less than five seconds. Now, we're not told, but that sword extends from the mouth of Jesus Christ. We're not even, it, it, it happens so fast, I think it's not worthy of, of report. It, it, it goes from telling us on one side is the Antichrist and uh, the kings of the world and their armies, and on the other side is, Jesus and the armies of heaven. And then the next, the very next thing, the Antichrist is captured and the false prophet. <laughs> They're captured. Now what happens to them? That's the next verse. Both the beast and his false prophet were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. What's that? That's Gehenna. That's Gehenna. That's where Others go later, but they're the first two of God's five enemies to be destroyed. How are they destroyed? They're thrown into the lake of fire. That's God's plan for destroying his enemies. One day, death will also join them in the lake of fire. That's how he destroys death, as reported in Revelation uh, 20, verses 14 and 15. But let's stay here. After the beast and the false prophet are destroyed, then what happens? This is the last verse of the marriage supper prophecy. Their entire army was killed by the sharp sword that came from the mouth of the one riding the white horse. So Jesus Christ annihilates. Jesus Christ annihilates 100%, 100% of those who are team Satan and who are there at the Battle of Armageddon, 100% of those people who walked over the path of the Euphrates River, they were gathered together there, right? In the seven plagues prophecy, we're told when the sixth and final plague is poured out, they walk across that dried up path of the Euphrates River. God was gathering them to come where? Right here. Right here where the Battle of Armageddon is going to be fought and won. What happens? Antichrist and a false prophet thrown into Gehenna, destroyed forever and ever. Then 100% of these people who are in the armies, who've taken the mark of the beast, they experience a mortal death. So they're not thrown into the lake of fire. They're going to get to have their cases heard. But they do experience a normal death. And then it says, and the vultures all gorge themselves on the dead bodies. So that is... The end of the marriage supper prophecy. That's the end of the marriage supper prophecy. I hope you were able to see the connection there and with respect to the timing of what happens after the seven final plagues are are, uh, poured out. After that, we have the Battle of Armageddon. Please consider being with me and with us on Thursday and next Sunday. We're going to be talking about the purple and scarlet prophecy. Revelation 17, 18, verses 1 to 5 of 19. We're going to be talking about the harlot church, the one world religion that's going to dominate religious affairs during the Great Tribulation. Thank you, friend and truth seeker, for being with me and with us. I pray that you will have a wonderful end of day and weekend. 
And according to Jeremiah 33, 3, I urge you to call out to God. He promises to show you great and mighty secrets that you do not know.